grab me a beer and grab him a coke. We bout to sit for an hour bullshit and tell jokes. And please don't mix it up, cause he done sobered up. Brandon T. Comedy on your social media feeds. And Brandon Tess here, bitch, your ex drinking buddy. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of Brennan Tassif is your ex drinking buddy. I'm your host, Brennan Tassif. If you are new to the program, quick rundown of the show. I used to be everyone's favorite drinking buddy. It was one of my favorite things to hang out with friends. Talk shit, talk shop, and reminisce about old drinking stories while we're getting hammered, doing drugs, getting in trouble. I am sober now, but that is still one of my favorite things to do. Most weeks I will be joined by a guest. This week is no exception. Coming to you via Boston, now in New York City, actor Matthew Fagerberger. Nailed it. Nailed Nailed it. it. I was so nervous. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I got to get that, uh, yeah, I, I have a, or I used to have, my old manager wanted me to change that for forever, but, you know, that's that's the family name, so. So you're keeping it. Yeah, I'll make okay. I'll make people like you learn how to pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's the same thing. My last name is Tassif, and when you say it, it's, like, when you see it, it's phonetic, so you can pronounce it. Same but, thing with Fagerberg, yeah. It's yeah. just exactly how it's written. Yeah, but <laughs> it's it's one of those things where you see it, and then, like, I'm thinking, and I'm like, wait, was it burger? Was it burger? Like, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. How many R's are in it? Um, so inter- introduce yourself to the people. Like I said, we do have a few listeners here and there. So you are an actor by trade. I am. Yes. Yeah. So uh, quick question. You were in the equalizer. Denzel, really a dickhead or not? Just I, I, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> I did a, a scene with him that got cut. I was playing a bartender, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Real method cut there. Uh, <laughs> And I would say that I didn't. I did a scene with him. I'm not sure I ever met the man because I rehearsed with his body double. Oh, really? His body double was this dude who was about five two, like two hundred pounds. He didn't look anything like Denzel. That's hilarious. Because uh, Denzel was gonna be sitting. So, oh, so they do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't matter because he's sitting. Right. So I rehearsed with that guy like three times, and then I literally I turned around. I was. The assistant director was saying something to me, and I turned back, and Denzel was sitting in front of me. Didn't say a word to me. It was like 20 more seconds, action. We did the scene twice, and then he walked away. Really? He did his lines with me, and that's it. He just came in. I didn't even—I honestly, because you told me that you you were like, yeah, I had a bit part in the Equalizer. And so I honestly was thinking about it at the gym today. I was like, oh, I'm just going to like throw it out there. It's like a gotcha thing. But I was going to do it as like a joke. I didn't realize you had a whole story to go with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did a scene with him that that got cut, and I have another small scene with uh, Chloe Saint Moritz, who who was the other like lead in that film. Okay, that that's in there, but the one the one with Denzel didn't get it, and he literally uh, he appeared like an apparition, and then was, <laughs> just did the scene with me and was gone. So how long? <laughs> this is super interesting. So I normally have comics or musicians on the show. Um, I've had a few actors though, <clears throat> so I just kind of want <clears> to. <throat> Let everyone know, for those of you listening, if you can't hear it in his voice, Matthew's an incredibly attractive man. <laughs> so how did you get into, and I watched your reels, because I do research for this podcast, and they were, were fantastic. So what what happened? So you grew up in Boston, and then you just decided, I want to act, or how did it, the, how did it play out? Um, 
you know, it was kind of a, a gradual thing where I moved towards. So I grew up in South Boston, uh, you know. No accent either, which is interesting. Uh, well, you know, back when I was drinking, you know, if I had a couple of martinis right now, it would come right out. Uh, yeah. Or you put me around some family members. It comes out? Yeah, yeah. The R's, go, you. The R's go away and shit like that. Yeah. Uh, but no, so yeah, so, you know, South Boston's kind of blue-collar neighborhood. Uh, you know, my family's blue-collar. And I grew up playing hockey. Okay. And, you know, from the time I was my, – my dad put me on skates when I was, like, two. Okay. Like, so Ben like, Affleck in the town kind of thing. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, minus, like, the bank robbery. Yeah, skills. but – That would have been nice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't have the balls for that. I barely have the balls to act. Um, <laughs> so I, I, th- I literally thought I was going to do that for the rest of my life up until – I got a scholarship to play uh, hockey. Uh, okay, where in, at? In, in high school, in high school okay. at uh, the school called Catholic Memorial, which is a big hockey school in the Northeast, well known. Um, and then my going into my junior year there, I got a massive knee injury. Oh uh, shit! I had a chronically dislocating kneecap, and that ended up like it was like the fifth or sixth time that it happened. I happened to tear a bunch of ligaments with it, too. Oh, my God. And then, so that was kind of the end of that, because it was like, it ended up being like a 13-month recovery to be able to be back on skates. And by that time... You would have been out of high school. Well, yeah, that, that's, of... that school was super competitive, so my spot was gone. And, you know, they were good to me. They, they let me keep the scholarship and whatever for my last year and a half. Yeah. But that was like the first time, you know, I was like 16, 17, 17 then, it was the first time in my life where I even put any th- had to think about what I was going to do. Yeah, and I know that exact feeling because the same thing happened to me with football. When they're like, "Yeah, you've had too many concussions. Like this is like you you can't really play anymore." And you're like, "No, this is what I do. Like, what do you mean I can't? Right? Like what? Yeah, it was it was that kind of moment. Uh, not when I got hurt, but when when I lost a spot like eight months in when when my so co- you're recovering. You think, all right, I'm gonna be all right. Like I'll I'll get back. And then they take the spot from you? Yeah. Okay. They basically, he basically said I'd, I'd have to retry out whenever. Oh, fuck you. Whenever it came around, yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, I kind of get it because this was a school that was kind of like parentally competing for like state championships and shit. Yeah. But I always thought to the, I'd get to the point where I'd be able, you know, to get back. But even like eight, nine months into that, you know, where I could barely skate and, and it just, I, I wasn't the same out there. Were you hesitant on the ice because of the yeah, injury? Yeah, I, I kind of like had, I got like the fear. Yeah, you lost you know, it. Because yeah. I played in a couple scrimmages, you know, when I was allowed to like skate again, like kind of like padless scrimmages, just like shinny. Uh, and I, yeah, I just, I that fearlessness that you need and that I had before because I'd never been injured, period, before. Yeah. Uh, was, was, yeah, I was like shook. Uh, and yeah, that was the first time in my life I ever had to think about all right well what am i going to do so what happens where where what do you did did you think cuz you're still going to this very prestigious school yeah and and i was a good student uh okay so i had you know i still academically i still had a lot of like options for school were you partying and stuff in high school i i know yeah okay i was yeah. going to say cuz it's a it's a weird dynamic because hockey players you automatically think like heavy drinkers like party animals but then you're saying you're going to this really prestigious school so it's like goody two shoes get good grades so where does like the after the after party kind of in this in this school environment? How does that play out? Well, I was, you know, I kind of had like like a double 
like life like yeah well, i've seen a, i've seen departed not a, not a double life but so <laughs> i've seen dicaprio's character yeah I, I didn't want to quote I that bet, and be like you were kind i of bet a, you had two different fucking accents didn't you you north shore irish fuck <laughs> no. this is gonna but, be the whole podcast quoting but, uh, I, I i would absolutely do that podcast too <laughs> um just quote you were like two different people <laughs> but so we had Right before I went to high school, we moved out of Southie and to Plymouth, Massachusetts, which is like the South Shore. Okay. Lottie fucking da. No. <laughs> uh, so we, we moved out of the city. So I commuted back to go to school because the high school was in Boston. So okay. I did like a reverse commute for four years. And so I had friends in Plymouth and I had friends in the city. So you, this literally is just playing out like that scene in the office, like in the departed where they're all in the office and it, Mark yeah. Wahlberg's like going in on him. <laughs> I bet you had two different fucking accents. So you were going into the I'm sorry, I got to stop. You're going into the city, um, but then you're, you're reverse community. You're going back out to go home instead of the other way around. Right. So, you know, at school and like around the team and stuff. I, you know, I was very disciplined. Like I said, I was a good student and the hockey team, I mean, we have like beers and stuff every once in a while, but you know, they kind of scared us so much into, you know, you'd lose your spot or you yeah, know, the scholarship your is, grades cancel it, yeah. you lose your, so everyone was kind of like very, we were buttoned up on that team, uh, and disciplined. But then I had my friends down the South shore in Plymouth who they were? They Fucking, all went to public school. Yeah, not not disparaging public school, but uh, they. I got, will. I went to public. They school. got. You after. didn't, but I can say they got after it. So like there it around is. the accent around yeah yeah around the time I got injured was when you know I I started like drinking in earnest and you know I same yeah same same for me yeah as soon as they were like you're not playing anymore it's like I guess I'm just gonna drink all the time then yeah so it was it was weekends then I'd go to school. And then, it, you know, after when I wasn't playing hockey, I'd, I'd come back to Plymouth for the weekends because, I, you know, I was kind of disconnected from my friends on the team and stuff at that point. So I would, you know, in retrospect, probably a little depressed about that. So I'll come back to Plymouth and, and it just for Saturday, Sunday, just drink yeah. every, every hour. That, yeah. Uh, which, I mean, was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a <laughs> I tell people that all the time. So you are an ex-drinking buddy. You know, to reference the title of the show, because you're you are sober now, correct? Yeah, I've been sober about a year and a half. Okay, uh, and I, it's interesting because you've probably heard this too. I uh, I say this bit on stage, but you know, you hear it all the time that my worst day sober is better than my best day drunk, and I always think, what a bunch of fucking losers! Yeah, like, I had great days drunk. I had some good like some day days that were way drunk? better than being sober. Yeah, <laughs> so it, but. I mean, obviously, the the bad in my situation, and the listeners know this. The bad far outweighed any fun that I would have, and then eventually just stopped being fun altogether, which is why I got sober. Yeah. But um, so for you at this time, you're young, you're having a good time, you're you know, like you said, retrospect, you might be depressed that you lost everything that you had worked for your entire yeah, life. Yeah, I was, was gone. I was lost. You know, in general, I was lost, and you know, I'd always liked movies. Uh, and, you know, my dad and I, a big part of our relationship was watching movies and TV together. Oh, okay. That's, that makes and a lot of sense then. We always stayed up on it. And in school, I was a good writer. You know, I was, I was good at, like, the English side of things and yeah. then couldn't do math for shit. So, 
you know, this is what I, I, I meant when I said it was like baby steps to get to acting because I decided, you know, I, I, well, I want to be a writer. So I, I'll get into like writing for, for TV and film, like script yeah. writing. And what I just like the timeline aspect of it. When is this? Is this in high school or just after high school? This is like around like making decisions for college. Okay. Because, you know, I I had, you know, some good like liberal arts options like Holy Cross up in Worcester and like NYU, like just for their liberal arts program. But I threw my parents a curveball and I said I wanted to go to Emerson, which is also in Boston. And there, there's a they're big film and 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 uh, okay film school and they have a program for writing for tv and film they have a major that's okay that's an actual thing you can go there just for that right so i had this kind of private inkling that that's what i wanted to try and do and i hadn't told anybody yet really so i kind of sprung that on them and we went and visited it and they were like you know emerson is a very artsy school and the kids that go there are are like that yeah and so my parents no, say my, no more. I'm, Everyone I'm, listening knows exactly yeah, who you're talking there's about. There's a lot of like, you know, there's some people listening who are those people colored hair and shit. Yeah. My parents hadn't seen before. Oh, like, yeah. Because they're um, blue collar from fucking South Boston. Yeah. And, it, and <laughs> your dad walking around like what the fuck is this? Right. And Emerson's one of the most well-known, you know, LGBTQ campuses. Yeah. For like generations. It's been like, that. Oh, OK. So, yeah, my parents were kind of they're kind of looking at me sideways and and then I told them that that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, they've always just kind of blindly supported me. Like, oh, that's awesome. Like you could tell. And even, you know, it's still a little bit. They're like not quite sure. They don't understand it, but they're like, OK, if this like, is what you want to do. Then we got you. Right. So that's how I ended up at Emerson. And, and I was doing writing for TV and film. And actually my first week there, orientation week, my, my parents had dropped me off probably like four days earlier. You know, I'm kind of meeting, you know, these kids and, you know, I, I'm already getting the sense that I'm kind of like the first like true Boston person. A lot of these yeah people are running into. Well, it's interesting because your whole life you've been kind of, you know, you played hockey. I'm assuming you were popular. You partied with your friends in Plymouth. And now you are at a school that's compiled of mainly outsiders. But now you're the outsider at this school because it's like we're all yeah. we're all but these they, very unique but they thought guy, it was cool. people. Yeah. And they're like, who the fuck is this regular right. old white guy coming in here? Right. And so like I was kind of like not the odd, but I was like the odd duck like orientation week, but in like a good way because everyone was like, oh, man, you're from here. Yeah. Like, oh, you played sports like, oh, you don't just sit around listening like Velvet Underground all day. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Uh, so. I so it was the first weekend of orientation and my buddy Matt from Plymouth came down uh and first weekend getting it going yeah we paid this homeless guy who was out front of the dorms to go into a a liquor store for us and we got like a quart of um Rubinoff and orange juice and brought it up What is Rubinoff? Rubinoff is like plastic like jug handle okay. vodka you know what I mean yeah, like yeah, 8 yeah. bucks for a gallon kind yeah, of shit Yeah yeah uh, so we brought that up in the dorms and, and we're just like passing it around. And my, my friend Matt had just bought a Vespa. So he wanted to like ride it around on Tremont Street in the common and kind of like show it off for these kids. So we all like like six of us go down to get it. And we notice the security guards who run the desk are asleep. So we bring oh, this no. thing, his Vespa up the stairs, past <sighs> the security into the elevator, bring it upstairs to our dorm. And we're riding it down the oh, hallway. Oh, no. 
And so he's like whipping it around the hallway and like into the common room. And everyone's coming out because there's a Vespa running down the yeah. hallway. So I get on this thing and I'm going down the hall and someone called out my name. And I look back and I look forward and I hit one of those like industrial garbage cans. That oh, dorm shit. Hallways. Yeah. And my arm went into it like through the flap and I went over it. And I broke my wrist and had oh to get God. a plate and two screws put in. Holy shit. That was week one of college. Let's Yeah, so here my, we go. My dad had to come up. First of all, I, I so I, I crashed, and I knew it broke right away. Like, I felt yeah, it. Yeah, you could. And, but and I was you're drunk. an athlete. You know your body. Yeah. So you're like, oh, I this was is bad. drunk enough where it didn't hurt. Yeah. And But I was... I was Walking around being like, I just broke my wrist. And everyone thought I was fucking with them. So no one no one believed me. So I had to go downstairs and catch a cab to Mass General Hospital by myself. Oh, my God. Go to the emergency room. Hammered uh, at 18. Yeah. And they, they got uh, an MRI or whatever. And they were like, yeah, that's broken and you're going to need surgery. So I, my dad had to come up at like 3 in the morning. Oh, God. And I remember he walked in and they had me in this thing. It was like Chinese finger traps. But for all five of your fingers, so your, oh, okay. your hand would just kind of hang. Yeah. And that was to kind of move the bones to get ready for the surgery. So my dad oh. walks in, and I'm in this contraption. And he's like, you've been here for fucking four days. <laughs> he was like, what are you doing? He was like, we, we moved in your mattress four days ago. Like, how, <laughs> how am I already here at the hospital, and you need surgery? Oh, that's hilarious. So that was kind of like a little foreshadowing that Emerson was not going to go well for me. So what <laughs> ended up happening? Did you stay at Emerson or did you decide to leave or? So I, I stayed there for two years and I, I went through, you know, the first year of the writing for TV and film program and I wasn't disciplined for it. And I, I that was when I first started working in bars and it was a bar that would let me drink yeah. there. And so, you know, and I was hanging out with people that were older than me in like their mid-20s. And I just liked doing that more. Yeah. The, the <laughs> lifestyle can be incredibly addictive itself. And that's something that, I mean, it took me a while. My drinking was like way out of control. But it took me a while when I first got sober this last time to be like, oh, this is like you have to relearn how to do a lot of stuff. Because everything I would do, yes, I would yeah. do drunk. Go to the movies, hang out with friends, exactly. watch games. Like all this stuff you, I had to relearn how to do sober. And the first time I went to rehab in 2013, I started to do that. Like I started doing stand-up sober and stuff like that. But it's it's just really weird because sometimes you miss that feeling of like, oh, I just want to like get hammered and like not give a shit. Right. So it's 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 that almost becomes as addicting as the feeling of being, you know what I mean? So it's right. It's, it can be weird how it, you get addicted to, to kind of not having inhibitions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I get, I, I, I know there are some days cause there's a leak in our bathroom, you know, we've got work cause you and I work in the same restaurant. Um, we, uh, I got, I have stand up stuff, the podcast. There's some days where I wake up and I was just like, you know, what would be f- nice to just do a couple shots and not give a shit about anything going on at all. Right. But it's like, I can't, I, I won't, right. I or can't. have one of those like, days, like, I miss, like, like the day drink. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where Dude, I, like, I I'm going to fucking start at 10 a.m. today. Yeah. And go to, like, 7. And just turn on <laughs> and not care about anything. Netflix, <laughs> turn off the phone. I know I have enough money in my account if I want to run out and get food. Right. Like, I could use my card for anything, like, within reason. 
and I'm like, I'm good. Right. Like, I just want to slip into the hole, dude. Yeah. Just do whatever I want <laughs> for like 13 hours. Yeah. I I do miss I do miss those days sometimes, but then obviously. The reason I stay sober is because you, you you think about it and you're like, okay, well, that's my first thought. But then all the shit that comes with it is not worth it for me because then I don't stop drinking and then I end up in the right. hospital or arrested because the only times in my alcoholism where I actually stopped was in the ER or in jail. When you had to. Yeah, because you can't. They won't. They won't give you booze in the hospital. No. Fucking assholes. Ask. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> and in your situation, you're like, yeah, four days. Into it, yeah. Broken wrist, and then broken. I, I mean, not just broke. Like I, I still have a plate and two screws. That's in crazy. That and then fast forward, you last two years there. Yeah, and uh, you know, like I said, I started working in bars. Uh, I worked at uh, Blue Man Group, and they had a bar downstairs. So I, I started there as an usher, and then I worked uh, at the bar there um, with my uh, still one of my best friends in the world. Jeff Davis hired me there. Shout out Jeff Davis. Um, He'll hear this. Yeah, I'm sure he will. He 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 follows everything I do. Does he? Um, oh, that's a yeah. good friend. Um, and that's just you know what I started doing, and I I wasn't good at the discipline of writing, um, so I didn't stick with it. But at Emerson, because there's a huge film department, there was always someone was always doing a short film all yeah. the time. So, uh. A couple of my really good friends uh, that I live with, uh, Evan and Brian, were in the film department and asked me to be, you know, it was just like uh, one of their short films they had to do to finish out a semester in like film production one class. Okay. They, want, they need someone to act in it. So I did that. I did those two for them, for their like projects. And it was the first time I'd been on a set and interacted, you know, in that environment and all the equipment and stuff in the sound stage at Emerson is like state of the art. Okay, so it's like and a. Re- that's that what I was just gonna ask. It's like just, a real set. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, Emerson had had all that yeah. shit, like red cameras, like. So all it's not of like it. a bunch of buddies in the park with an iPhone. No, Wait, but it, it was that vibe of like hanging out with your buddies, but they were really <laughs> a full set. But they were really, we were really making something. Yeah, and I just I fell in love with that environment, and. Uh, I did, you know, really well, and I got, you know, good responses, not just from them, but from their professors about the work I did on those. So then I was like, well, well, maybe that's what I want to do. And I was always, like, really, you know, kind of trepidatious about, like, public speaking and stuff. Okay. And I think, you know, the writing and TV and writing for TV and film thing was kind of like I knew I wanted to try acting, but I didn't really have the courage to make that leap yet so i kind of did like the half measure with the writing yeah but that really got me into it and 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 inspired me but emerson their acting program is the one program you can't transfer into because people have to audition for it okay uh so they don't want people to try to sidestep the system right right and it's totally fair so i did this whole appeal process you know to try and get them just to let me audition okay i i found it interesting you're like yeah it's totally fair so i fought it tooth and nail. Oh, I did. no i i like understood it completely and they were like no you can't do it but you're I, like still i was like try no, to do it fuck you like let me do it yeah uh because i did like same thing with like when i was playing hockey i just kind of had this blind confidence that oh i can do this yeah like and i'm better than all these people that have been doing it since they were three yeah <laughs> it was just like delusion slash confidence uh, but so, sometimes, sometimes that's not unfounded. 
because no, it's, it's a it's kind of a good thing in this racket and you know in stand up too yeah. where I find anyway you know you until you get to a certain point you know you kind of have to have a degree of delusion because it's it's an insane you have to it's an it's, insane thing to pursue yeah absolutely people and I'm aware of that <laughs> yeah people tell I'm sure people tell you just like they tell me all the time it's like well what's your plan B it's like there is no if there's a plan B there's no plan A so there is no plan B. Like, it's this. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, but what if it doesn't work? You're like, then it's, it's this. I tell people all the time, I'm perfectly fine with being extensively poor for the rest of my life as long as I get to do stand-up. Like, obviously, the goal is for the podcast to take off and to be self-sufficient through Patreon and stand-up. But, it, like, it, I'm going to keep doing this because yeah. I love doing this. So it's yeah, not. There's, there's no, no other option. Yeah, there's point. nothing Yeah, else. I'm dug in. Yeah. You know what I was going to do? I was going to play football. Yeah, and then that exactly. got taken from me. So fuck you. That was plan A. Right. This was plan B. I've never B. been a plan B guy. Yeah, no, there's no... Yeah, <laughs> fuck that. So, oh, man. I'm super curious. What was your first... Oh, well, what happened with the appeals process? They said no at all? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, they're a super, they're super liberal school, so they had, like, a design-your-own curriculum, so they let me go through this whole appeal process. And in the end, they said no, but they offered me, like, a couple classes I could take, and... You know, I, at that point, I was like, I was falling in love with the bar life, and I was in this like super, super toxic like relationship you get into at at that time of your life with Maya, go, sorry, with uh, with you know a girl who was older than me that I met through that scene. Yeah. So I just dropped out, and okay, uh, actually, kind of the saving grace of it as I, you know, I went deeper and deeper into that world for like years and in this bad relationship for almost five years. Oh, wow. But uh, one of the blue men put me on to this guy, Scott Fielding, who ran what's called the Michael Chekhov studio in Boston. And he's like this acting guru that's been doing it forever. And he, he teaches two kind of techniques, the Meisner technique, which you, you may have no, heard of. No, I'm not familiar. And he teaches the Michael Chekhov technique. What's the Meisner technique? The, the is there Meisner's, any way you could like summarize it into like a couple sentences? No, um. <laughs> but it, no, it's it's uh, it's it's what I would call like a foundational technique for acting. Okay, uh, and it's it's very well known. It's I mean it's kind of like essential for film work. It's it's just well a, then I'm gonna need to look it up. Yeah, and, I, I, I mean there's to, a ton of good teachers in New yeah. York, but so I went through a year long program with him that was just this Meisner technique, and then I went into the Chekhov technique, which is really this kind of like psychophysical thing that really blew my head open. Okay. And so he kind of introduced me to, you know, not to sound like a douchebag and like, like the craft of acting or, or what it takes to really be good at it. Yeah. He introduced me to how much work goes into it. Well, and that's the thing is I, I understand why you, you feel like that comes off as douchey. Cause I, I'm the most pretentious person in the world when it comes to comedy. Like people could get the entire room to laugh, and I'd be like, "Yeah, but you're not saying anything." So I understand that that feeling of like, "God, I sound like a douche." But it's at the end of the day, it's it's an art form. Like and you get to treat it like that. You're yeah. literally, you're, you are becoming someone else. At least that's the goal. You're totally changing everything about yourself to become this other thing. Yeah. So it is. It is an incredibly difficult art form, and I I just know that from experience because I've done theater. And done a little acting. And I remember talking to you about this where I could be sitting on the couch and I could recite 
a monologue or a back and forth from all sorts of movies or shows just because I'm obsessive and I watch it a lot. And I can start crying on command in front of my girlfriend and like I can make you believe anything if we're sitting on the couch. But the second I have to do it in front of people, I'm like, fuck this. Right. That's and that's kind of what he taught me was where the where the technique comes in and, and how you can have sort of Chekhov is very much just building this bag of tools. Yeah. That you can reach in and grab like like a plumber grabs tools and say, oh, I'm going to use, you know, this one this time. Okay. Uh, and it, it, it gives you, you know, somewhere to start from always. Yeah. And that really helped me with my nerves problem because I had a big, big nerves problem at, at the beginning when I first started acting to the point where, like, I would uncontrollably shake. At auditions and stuff? I mean, in at auditions in class. Oh, like, wow. Like, in class, I and, and literally my hands would lock up in, like, like fucking rigor mortis. Oh, my God. Like that dude just because you were scary s- movie. Yeah. <laughs> just because I would get so nervous. Yeah. So, you know, he kind of built me out of that. And I worked with, I still work with him, you know, on auditions like over Zoom. But I, I worked in his school for about five years. And this know. is in Boston? Yeah. Uh, and that's what kind of, you know, it, it gave me that foundation. And that's when I started booking work. And it, that helped me realize that, okay, this, this can be a career. And this is how you do it. Yeah. So what was the first, and then we're going to get into some of these stories. What was the first, uh, the first gig that you got where you were like, obviously it's not booking a sitcom and now you've got all this money and all this accolades and stuff. But like the first thing that you did, was it the student films that you were helping your friends with where you were like, okay, the, I can, I can see myself kind of like, here we go. Like this is like, I want to say break, but it's not really a big break, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like your first, but, like, okay, I, I got it. I got this. The, the student films was just sort of, I, that's where I fell in love, like I said, with that environment of yeah. being on set and being in that creative space all the time around people that are also thinking like that and working towards the same goal. But then theater in Boston is where I really, you know, kind of initially cut my teeth and and kind of convinced myself that I can do it. Okay, that's, yeah, that's, I guess the better way to ask that question is when did you figure out like, Oh, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. So that would be theater in Boston. Yeah. I did some like fringe stuff that, you know, it was very, you know, it was professional theater, but you know, kind of you know, amateur professional, but that I got some recognition for and, you know, some good write-ups in, in like in the globe and like legit, oh, shit. legit publications and that I had so much fun doing. Uh, so th- yeah, theater was, was kind of, my way into it and that that's very much you know that's the actor's medium like film and tv is are for the writers and the directors and the actors show up and we do a job for them yeah but you know theater is still that's the actor's domain because okay it's just you out there yeah so that's where i kind of got over all those you know that nerve stuff and that rawness and first time i was really using some of that technique and stuff uh and that's where I fell in love with it, for sure. Okay, that's awesome. That's so good to hear. So you decide, fuck it, I'm going to pack everything up and move to the big city? Well, for a while, so I did theater in Boston for a while, and I got, you know, a couple small things like the equalizer that came, because a lot of stuff films in Boston. Now. Yeah. I did that, and I had a, a small role in Detroit, the Catherine Bigelow movie. Uh, and I was doing theater in Boston for like a good, you know, four or five years while I was getting you know, t- deeper and deeper into this bar scene. Uh, oh, so you're, yeah. Cause I f- completely forgot at the same time, you're like drinking and going out and having a good time. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'm like a daily. By the time I'm like 24, 25, I'm like a daily drinker. Yeah, you know, I'm. I was working. You're an artist. Yeah, yeah. I was working at a bar in Dorchester, which is just the next neighborhood over from South Boston. That was like a neighborhood spot. I worked there for about five years, and they let me do whatever I want. So you know, I was drinking while I was working. I was drinking after I was working. I was yeah. drinking before I was working. Uh, and in between that, you know, I would do these theater gigs. And I kept putting off moving to New York. And then, you know, I met my current girlfriend that we've been dating for about uh, almost five years now. Wow. Uh, And she. So this is after the toxic five years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there I mean, there are a ton of stories there with with that with that chick. But Michelle's the one that kind of shouts out Michelle that kind of made me realize that you know, the way I was living wasn't normal because, you know, on both sides of my family, alcoholism is everywhere. Yeah. So even being a daily drinker and, and working in a bar like I was, it, it never seemed like out of the ordinary because yeah. I was always, I, tell I was never not around yeah. alcoholics. I'm, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say alcohol. I wouldn't label alcohol, alcoholics as far as my family, but they are heavy drinkers. There's a lot. I mean, we're Eastern European, so they're, but everyone gets their stuff done and you can say high functioning or you could just say, you know, heavy drinkers, but drinking was so prevalent growing up that it was just like, this isn't a big, like what's no, this uh, to me, I talked to my girlfriend who grew up in a, not that kind of environment. And I mentioned stories and she's like, what the fuck? What, what are you talking about? And I'm like, that's a normal thing. And she's like, no, it's not. That was like the first the first time like Michelle ever came to like one of our family like <laughs> gatherings. Like we have a big ski trip that we do every year on my mom's side where like I already know where this is going. Well, cuz my mom's one of six and my dad is too. Yeah. So, I mean, I have, on both sides I have I mean, now with with the, the really young ones, I have like 30 cousins on both sides. So, we have this big ski trip every year where there's like 40 of us in the yeah. house. And the first time Michelle went up there, it's just like four days of debauchery. Yeah. You're just drinking from, you know, Bailey's and coffee when you wake up. Every two runs on the slopes, you're jumping off to get a beer or two. And, you know, she was kind Shots of like. in between, yeah. She was like, this is fun, but like, this is what you guys do. And it was the first time in my life where I was like, yeah, your family doesn't do this. <laughs> like, they're. <laughs> like, it's not unusual for you. For your uncle to throw up in a snowbank or, or like, like she was there the year we almost burnt the house down. Really? Yeah. Uh, and my uncles, my two uncles on my mom's side are firefighters and we almost burnt down the ski house. God. It was like the second night there. Yeah. Tell this. And we're all after dinner, like, you know, so, you know, usually a game will start and everyone, you know, starts drinking in earnest. And I don't want to paint it like my whole family's alcoholics. Yeah. Just, I get into trouble sometimes because I forget there are quite a few people who listen. And then I'll get like right. an I email or a text message yeah, like, hey, why don't you back off? Right. I get my Aunt Kathy would call me and be like, uh, you listen, you don't need to frame everybody in your problems. Yeah. But so we were, you know, getting after it and. My uncle, my one uncle loves fire. He, he, he's just. Is he, this the firefighter? No, he's a cop. Okay. So. Cop. So he was like, he was getting a fire going, but he was starting it. We didn't have any like kindling or whatever left, like fire starter. But what we did have was about like 20 empty 30 racks. Yeah. So he started burning those like under it to get it going, but he didn't open the flute. 
Oh, so shit. like 30 minutes into this, like like 40 of us start looking around and like, it's really like, like, like Jerry, it's really smoky in here. Like, what are you doing? And he was like, oh, I can't get it lit. I don't know what's going on. Because there's no air coming in. And then we walk out and look up on the roof and there are like these embers shooting out like fireworks because yeah. it's trying to get out. Yeah. And But they're sprinkled all over the roof at this oh point. Oh, my God. And we're up in Bridgerton, Maine, which is way up there. And down, we were down like a single lane road that was all like snowed and iced over because it's yeah. the middle of February. No one is, no help is coming. So my uncles who are firefighters are freaking out like the, the, the roof is going to catch on fire. Because literally, I mean, it, it, it's a huge place to obviously house 40 of us. And the roof is covered in these embers. Yeah. That are just shooting just... out of the chimney. So we call the fire department. Leave and, it to the fucking cop. Yeah, exactly. So we call the fire department and they have to back down like three fire trucks down this like mile long single lane road in the middle oh my of God. bumfuck Maine at like two in the morning while we're all standing outside and, and, and they showed up and they were like, they took one look at it and they were like, the flute's open. The flute's not open. And they were like, there's two of you here that are firefighters and you, <laughs> and that and we we were not allowed in that house anymore. Is the yeah. conclusion of that story? Wow! <laughs> but God. so much that was like the first uh, introduction of of to Michelle to like my yeah. how, how my we do things gets yeah. after it yeah. And that was the first time that I was almost like oh wow like this is not how everyone's family does it yeah. <laughs> and it's it's honestly it's a weird thing because I've been with exes before. And obviously Savannah now where you go to hang out with their family. And I've got this whole picture of like the whole idea of what we do on holidays. And then I go and hang out with them and I'm like, these are fucking lame. Yeah. Like, this is boring. I mean, when I was when I was drinking and, you yeah, know, and, we, go to, yeah. and we go to her family, I'd be like, oh, my God, like I'd be in the bathroom. Like I'd bring two beers in. And yeah. Because well, it's one of those things where it's like. Like, with my ex, it was like, yeah, we might have a glass of wine. Or, like, her dad could get after it. And her and her, her dad and I used to have some fun times. But, like, when we go to visit her mom and stuff, it's like, yeah, we might have a glass of wine with dinner. And at the time when I'm drinking, I'm like, come on. Like, right. And now I'm like, doing? oh, that, that's just healthy. Yeah, that's a, a normal healthy lifestyle. Yeah. Like, oh, that's good. It's that's, so weird to look at. fosters a healthy environment. Yeah. What do you mean you guys don't get hammered and scream yeah. at each other? <laughs> what the fuck is that? So then Michelle kind of nudges you to make yeah, the Yeah, I mean, she very much helped me, you know, through the course of, you know, things like that. Uh, helped me realize, you know, how much of a problem I did have. And then, you know, she kind of saw how much I struggled in trying to stop it. You know, because for years I did, you know, like these half measures where, you know, I said I wasn't going to drink at work anymore. Yeah. Or then it became, you know, I'm not going to drink, uh, you know, after work anymore. You know, and then, you switch know, from beer, switch from hard liquor to beer. Yeah. Or, or I, I got, you know, to be friends with this guy who ended up being my bookie and he could get me, you know, Valium. And I heard Valium was good for helping to stop drinking. <laughs> yeah, dude, this is a true story. So I started. No, I don't I don't mean to laugh. But I just I'm laughing because obviously I've dude, been that, down. That's the attic that brain. Exact dude, same road where it's I'm like, like, wait a second. I, I, how about this? How about this? I'll snort oxy. Yeah, yeah, because that way I'm not drinking. Yeah, there's no liquor on my breath. But you know, and 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 this this guy who I was gambling with and losing a bunch of money to, you know, every week, 
you know, he he uh, had a friend who went through recovery, so he gave me this half-assed solution of like, you know, he used Valium, and and that kind of replaced, you know, gave you the same kind of feeling of drinking, uh, without drinking. So he would get me these, like he'd get me like forty at a time. Jesus. And I would like I for like a like a couple months, I just replaced it. I yeah. was just doing Valium, but then gradually drinking slipped back in. Well, you know, it's really good on Valium. Drinking. Yeah. <laughs> So that all came to a head uh, at a Lady Gaga concert. Oh my God! Okay, let's go. That We're going to Lady Gaga. So you know, I would this bookie I, I was gambling with, and what was your sport to gamble, or did you just gamble on everything? Maya, stop. Uh, everything, dude. Okay. I mean, I it started with with football. Uh, I ran like a like a squares thing at at the bar I worked okay. at. Okay. And then this guy was just like a neighborhood guy, but he ran. He ran a book. He had like a website and everything oh, Jesus. that made it super easy, you know, and I dealt in cash. So Yeah, you're a bartender, of course. You gotta deal in cash. So Michelle and uh Plus it's super duper illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was not he was not a good guy for me to be around at all. <laughs> like it was every vice in the book and then I just threw gambling on top yeah, of it. Yeah, and then hey. So we were getting ready to go to this lady gaga. Give me the ova on the pats. Yeah, exactly. Only not just the Pats, like across the board. Yeah. Like all 14 games. Uh, so we're getting ready to go to this fucking Lady Gaga concert at Fenway. Uh, my girlfriend's a huge Lady Gaga fan. It was me, her, my best friend Liam, his girlfriend, and my other best friend Ryan, and the girl he was dating at the time. And uh, so I placed these bets. I forget what they were on before we go to the show. And this is. You all, we always do, because I'm a big gambler too. And still, I, I still like to gamble um, every now and again. And it's like if someone asked me, like, what's your worst? Like, I remember my worst loss, but like, what's your second worst loss? I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like, you no. just forget. Like, you place the bet and it's like, all right, once like a week passes, you're like, I, what did I bet on? Right. And it, like, like I said, I was in the, you know, in the middle of all my, my drinking and stuff. So half the time I didn't remember, like I had to check what I bet on the <laughs> next morning. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I placed my, my bets for the night before this show. And I, I, like I said, I forget the exact bet, but it was something that, you know, I, well, I was sure of. Yeah, you know, I, sure Something thing. I'd done my research on. So I, I put like $2,000. Holy on it, and shit. And I, I had to my name at that point probably like 2300 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> but in my head, I was like, I'm going to double it and I'm going to double it again yeah. and again. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. I was like, I'm moving to New York City next week. Dude, I'm going to have like twenty grand. Yeah. So... Uh, this is so relatable for me. I've been, I've done, I've literally done every single one of those. Yes, yeah. and except the Lady Gaga concert. And I was ta- I was taking these Valiums, and I hadn't I hadn't drank in probably like three months at this point. Oh, so yeah. you know, I almost said awesome, but it's like, wait, you're doing Valiums. So yeah, <laughs> good for you, bro. <laughs> yeah, you're same. killing it. So you know, and you know, Michelle sees me going in the right direction because she has no idea about about the Valium. Oh, so she just thinks you're not drinking. Correct. God. So does we, she know about it now? Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I, oh, what, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, shit, I got to edit this whole fucking thing. No, out. no. Imagine, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we go to the, sh- we go to the show and we're, we're having a good time. And I had taken a couple of these things before I go just, you know, to deal with the anxiety of it. Uh, but we're having a good time at the show. And then I happen to check my phone and I obviously, I lost that bet. <laughs> the one you do the research on? Yeah. Yeah. The one, the, the sure thing was gone. <laughs> So I realized in the money. middle of like poker face that I have three hundred dollars to my name. Oh my <laughs> god! 
like in the middle of paparazzi, I realized yeah. that my net worth has been cut in half. No, but yeah, more, almost a hundred percent. You've cut your net worth by ninety percent. Right. So ah. I immediately, you know, tell Michelle and them I'm going to the bathroom and I go to the beer stand and get like three beers. Yeah. And so I started drinking like kind of on my own that down night. to two thirty five. Yeah, at <laughs> three hundred. Now I'm down to two thirty five. And then we go to uh, this this hot dog spot that's outside Fenway afterwards. Can they tell you you because you've been taking Valium? So the second you start drinking, I'm sure it... I held it together through the end of the through the end of the show. Okay, but by the time we got to this place to get food afterwards, I'm I'm like borderline legless. Okay, so everyone knows something's going on. And then we we get our hot dogs and we're sitting at the bar, and for some reason I have no idea why I didn't I didn't like the way the condiments were put on it, oh, like the no. way this dude put on the condiments I didn't like, and I pick up these two hot dogs and I threw them off the back of the bar, oh no, like over the bartender's head and just stuck them to the wall, out of nowhere like I like I wasn't saying like I wasn't talking to anybody, like we just you got just our, look and- we got our food and and you know people are talking like. People are having conversation around me, and I just picked up both these things, these hot dogs, and threw them over the bar and stuck them on the back wall. And so we obviously get thrown out, and everyone's like, "Dude, what's going what, on?" But what ha- like because we both work in a bar, so my first instinct if someone does that, do you remember exactly like what happened? Like what did the bartender say? I'm still say? kind of like borderline. Like I'm not blacked out at this point, but you are kind of. I remember doing it. And I remember throwing it and seeing it, and I don't. The bartender was just—he was, was just he like, shocked. What the fu- yeah, what the fuck are you he doing? He wasn't. I don't remember him being mad or even really saying anything. He just couldn't. His brain couldn't compute. Yeah, because I'm thinking about it too, and I'm like, if someone just like picked up something and threw it over my head, I'd be like, someone that hadn't said anything to yeah, you other I'd than like, ordered food. What yeah. is happening? Yeah, and then I didn't. I didn't like throw it and then like. Say anything or have an outburst. Just I just threw it, threw them and sat there stoic, like fucking like went into your tool <laughs> bag and got the stoic out of there. Yeah, just sat there like stillness, just like a fucking like like a murderer. <laughs> so I think he was like shocked and scared. Like this guy is gonna he's gonna kill everyone. Like get the knives away from him. <laughs> so my friends get me out of there, and at this point I'm legless. Uh, and the tunnel kind of closed at this point. I don't re- okay. really remember much. Um, and I, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Michelle's really concerned. And that night, I, the next thing I remember is I'm waking up, throwing up. Okay. So I was, I was throwing up. So you got sleep. back to the apartment and now you're just. Yeah. And I mean, Michelle had had enough and she knew what she was going on, what was going on. So she didn't, she didn't stay that night, obviously, and left. And my friends put me in my room, and I woke up that night like in my own puke. Okay, uh, like oh, like could have died. Like yeah. I was real. Like th- I was just like face down in it. Well, that's how people. A lot of times when people die that way, it's because dude, I was pull- I was John Bonhaming it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah. Like not good. Because they they pass out on their back, completely blacked out, and then they choke on their own vomit. Yeah, yeah. And thank God. I mean, if I was on my back, I'd probably be dead. Yeah. Uh, so that, and that was the first time where I realized, you know, internally that I had an issue. Yeah. Um, and I didn't stop drinking or anything then, but that, that never was, did. we never do. That, I, I, I t- it took me another three years to took get me five. Yeah. Yeah. But that was the first time in my life where I was like, whoa, I have a problem. Yeah. Uh, was, you know, after losing 90% of my net worth 
at a Lady Gaga concert. She was literally like rappelling through the air. And you're like, ah, as I was like, fuck, my life (laughs) is over. I was like, I'm never getting to New York now. So um, you got everything together. How long have you been in New York now? We've been here about three years. Okay. Actually, just almost three years on the nose. Okay, so you were able to still get everything together and save up the money while you were still drinking and everything. Yeah, I mean, it, it became... Uh, so Michelle's... My girlfriend's uh, people, her family's from this area. So, you know, I was kind of stalling uh, back in Boston. You know, kind of had this cushy bar, that bar gig yeah. where I could drink and do whatever I want. I was making good money. And... Uh, and I was doing, you know, my theater gigs, which I wasn't making any money, but I was like well known enough in that little circle that I felt good about it. Well, yeah, and you're getting your 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 acting fixed by doing the theater thing. At least that's my experience when I was in Jacksonville. Is I was getting my stand up fix, doing all these different shows in the southeast, and then I had my good job at the restaurant right. where I was making money. So it's like there's a part of me that's like you don't have to leave. Like you're making great money, right. especially for Jacksonville. You're do- you are doing comedy all the time. So like you don't have to go, right? But you're but you're kind of not building it. Yeah, but then there's another part of you that's like, are you out of your fucking mind? Of course you have to go. Yeah. So she eventually was like, I'm moving. I'm going to New York. Okay. And that was where you know I I kind of had to choose like put up or shut up. Yeah. Yeah. So she moved, and then like about six months later, I came and met her uh, here. Did, did you stay in the relationship when she moved? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, you I mean, like, let me get it together and I'll, I'll come meet you. Or was it like a, I'm going to New York. If you decide to come up there, then that's good. But if not, no, it wasn't like a breakup thing. Okay. Uh, she, she was just like, I'm moving back to New York. Like you can come with me or you or not. Or okay. not. And, but that kind of gave me the will to be like, all right, it's time to make this move. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we, we did it together. She moved, she moved awesome. back to her parents' house for like six months and then we got our, our first place in Astoria. Uh, and then, you know, it was still, you know, another year and a half, two years before I really got sober. Yeah. Uh, so now you, you're sober now. Are you like, uh, if you don't mind my asking, are you like meetings kind of guy sober or are you just, just kind of doing your own? Cause I've met so many people doing this podcast where some people just don't drink. And then there are other people who got really bad, and so they have a sponsor, and they go to meetings, and they work the steps. And then there are people who always fall like kind of in the middle. So I didn't know if you, yeah, around uh, like December last year, is when you know my girl finally got fed up with it and was like, "You you need to stop, or or I'm gone." Okay, you know, and and so again, that was her kind of like, you know, inspiring me and 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 getting me to you know get my shit together. Uh, and I, I tried a couple meetings, uh, and I'd gone to a few back in Boston kind of, yeah. uh, cause I, well, I'm I, sure after the Lady Gaga concert, yeah. you were like, maybe I should check this out. Um, but at that point, you know, I was, you know, the stories I heard there, I, I was still in the stage where I'm like, this isn't me. Like yeah. I'm not that far gone. Uh, dude, I was in the hospital dying and I still sometimes go to meetings and I'm like, these guys are crazy. I'm yeah. Fine. Like, wow. You guys have an issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so and she she was like, you need to Michelle was like, you need to get sober and you need to talk to someone who's not me. And I didn't want to go back to the meetings. Uh, and this was also like around covid time. So they were all virtual. Yeah. So I did do a couple virtual ones and I just felt like I couldn't connect over that platform. Yeah, I can't. Do but it. I, I found I found this really great therapist that I'm still with. Oh, that's awesome. That's kept me 
on track. And then um, also, uh, my dad is in recovery. Yeah, he's he's currently. Oh, is it? Yeah, he's currently in a sober house. So right around that, just before that, uh, I I had that talk with Michelle. My dad was diagnosed with the first stages of cirrhosis. Ah, shit. So that and and my girl were kind of all the wake up call I needed. Yeah. And so with, you know, the therapy and then I, those first couple months, I basically white knuckled it. Yeah. That's, that's cause it's the first, I can't, I, I mean, my hat's off to you and anybody who does it like that. Cause what I learned through rehab and detox and then living in a halfway house and stuff like that is I, there's no, cause I tell people all the time, AA is not like I'm an AA, but that's not for everybody. Like if you can do it yeah. another way, I do more power to you. My hat's off to you. But I, I've obviously dabbled in every different way to quit drinking. And so for me, it works. So that's what I do. But I could not imagine the, like this last time getting sober, like, like doing what you did, like just trying to just getting through it. Like that's insane to me. Like that takes so much more, well, and, whatever it is. And that, than, I mean, the the white knuckling thing took a couple months where I had I had step backs like every week. Okay, where I would you know sneak out. Yeah, and you know run to the liquor store while while Michelle was doing laundry and get like two nips really quick just to like Calm get myself down. back to level. Yeah. So I went back and forth like that for a few months, and then finally I I put together. Uh, 30 days yeah and then 30 became 60 and then i just i just kind of got on a roll like that and having my dad going through the same thing was was what i needed too because i saw what where i was headed yeah and you know i my my dad was trying to quit after you know he still is after you know 40 years of heavy drinking and i saw you know the detoxes and, and, you know, he, like I said, he's in a sober house now and what he had to go through and how difficult it's been for him. And that was really the big thing for me. It was just like, you, you, you have to stop this Yeah, in your, you're seeing what's going to happen. Yeah. I was like, this is in your family line and you have to stop this now. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome that you were able to get a handle on it for sure. But before you got a handle on it, yeah, there are a few things that happened. (laughs) Um, I want to hear about you just wrote down gnome story kid Cuddy. What what happened there? Oh, to guess. So I mean, that was uh in Emerson. That was actually like right after I dropped out. So like me and my he's my best friend, my best friend Liam uh who's also like my best drinking friend of all time. <laughs> we got tickets to this Kid Cuddy show cuz dude Kid Cuddy was the shit what in, year is in, this? in the mid 2000s. This okay. is like 2011, dude. Okay, this here is we right go. after the first man on the moon. Here we bro. go. <laughs> Soundtrack. I moment. remember. I was still in college then. Yeah. So, we go to this show out in Springfield, Mass, which Springfield is is like the asshole of Massachusetts. Like it's not a good town. Okay. And but he was seeing this girl from Lowell, which is also a shithole town. Yeah, and, we've all seen the fighter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, the and, pride of Lowell. And she wanted to go to this, this well, we all did. We wanted to go to this Cuddy show. Okay, so we're back. We're going to Springfield, the yeah. asshole of Mass, with the, the girl from Lowell. So we get to, like, this house party beforehand. Is this in Springfield? Yeah, in Springfield. And, so mean, wait, where, whose house? This A friend of this girl that okay, my okay. buddy had seen a few times. So she's like, yeah, we got this little, like, party we can go to beforehand. And it's trash. 
do it's it's in the projects. Yeah. Where I mean, it's like the twentieth floor. Of the way you a, described the, the whole situation, you could or I could already tell. Where it's it was in going. the projects. Yeah, it's like it, literally like the twentieth floor of this housing development, and we get there, and there's like thirty people crammed into this place. Uh, so immediately, me and Liam are like, "Let's just let's just get the fuck out of here." Uh, but we were like we like stick it out for a little bit because you know he's trying to like stay with this girl. Yeah, and then. She must have been very attractive. She was. I mean, it was, I, I got why he did it. Yeah. <laughs> but so we're like drinking out of these like plastic cups. Uh, and then we finally, you know, decide let's just go to the show. We convince her to leave. And we get there. We get to the venue. Uh, and he goes on like two hours late. Yeah. So that happens a lot. I've noticed in certain concerts i've been to where it's like show starts at eight everyone's crammed in there and then it's like 11 15 and you're like what the fuck yeah so this to me and and my buddy this was just permission to get fucking hammered yeah okay so and they had this like little back bar and it was this shit venue so i mean we were like 20 at the time so they weren't carding or anything so you know we are we've like turned her friends over to our side now and we're like all we're like buying them drinks and shit and Finally, Kid Cudi comes out at like quarter to midnight and we had like nosed up. We're like three people deep from the front of the stage and he's going into the second song and my buddy turns to me and and he pulls out a joint and he's like, I'm going to throw it up to him. And I'm like, that's fucking awesome. Do that. Fucking right. So he throws this joint on stage and it hits Kid Cudi Like like in the neck and he looks at it and it's not the reaction we were hoping for. Like he's he's pissed that someone oh. just hit him in the face, and he literally points behind him, and this huge African American gentleman comes out from like the wings. This guy who built like fucking Vince Wilfork, <laughs> and he and and Cuddy's like still doing the song, like but he points down. Uh, he he thought it was one of this girl's friends who's standing next to my buddy. Liam. Good, yeah, it was her, absolutely. So Cuddy's doing doing his song, and this gigantic guy comes out to the foot of the stage. Cuddy points at this girl's friend, and this guy, I'm not even kidding, like sumo leaped off the stage and landed right in front of this kid <laughs> and picks him up by like his collar and just dragged him out. No questions asked. No. And this kid... <laughs> This kid didn't even, he did nothing. He had no idea what happened. So, and and the girl sees this whole thing and is pissed now because we got, I mean, it was like her best friend got thrown out. And this, I mean, I've never seen a guy that big. Big, that agile? He he had the grace of a ballerina. (laughs) He flew through the air. It was ridiculous, like a gazelle. And he landed right in front of this kid and he picked him up like a kitten. Like by the scruff of his neck and just like dragged him out. So this girl, I mean, she's fucked up now. So she's all bent out of shape. So what a bitch. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. So we we have to leave basically. Uh, cause she, oh, because she's freaking out. Her best a, friend's outside now. Right. And... So we leave uh, with her and this other girl, her 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 other friend, and we go back to the to the fucking apartment in the housing projects, and we're locked out. Uh, and were you planning on staying at this apartment or was this, I, we didn't have a plan at this okay. point. I don't You're know. Going, we didn't going, have a plan yeah. initially. We're going we, where the wind yeah. takes us. Only plan was to go to kid Cuddy. Other than that, but it's in all my mind, like this is kind of going good. Cause we've picked up another girl now. So yeah. it's, it's two and two. So we're going back. I was like, all right, we got her friend like thrown out on the curb by uh fucking 
Vince Will Fork. But other than that, we're doing all right. So we get back to the apartment. Yeah, the, one little setback. <laughs> get back to the apartment, and, it, and we're locked out. And this isn't the girl's place. It isn't the other girl's place. But this... So this, Whose place is it? Why would you go back there? It was one of her other friends. Okay. She just wanted to go back there. Yeah. I, I, she, that's so what, it's just a random friend, and she's like, let's go back to the house. Right, because she figured everyone would come back there after the party. Okay, okay, okay. So at like they have like this little gnome out front that's like this... Um, I don't know. It's like in front of their doorway. I don't yeah. know. But it's like a gnome that should be like on a garden. Yeah. yeah. But they have it in front of this. Door. We've all seen the tra- Travelocity commercials. Exa- exactly like yeah. that, but in a housing project for some reason. So we get back and we can't get in. And this <laughs> new girl is freaking out because she's hungry and she wants chicken nuggets. And she brought chicken nuggets to this party and she knows they're in there. Wow. So that's a weird sentence. I get an idea and I pick up this gnome and I just throw it through the window. Jesus. There's this little like like now explain because every apartment building I've been in, there's are no windows on the it, front it, end. It had like next to it on the side, like the door frame. Gotcha, like, gotcha. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Runs down. Yeah. And, and you, know, you oh, damn it. All right. So you take the gnome right into the glass. Yeah. I mean, this girl was going on and on about her chicken nuggets. And you're and, like, fuck it, we'll get you chicken nuggets. And I was like, all right, well, I'm not waiting. Uh, who knows when that show's gonna end. So, oh, that makes more sense. They're all at the show still. You guys left early, right? And okay, that's me and why me and Liam are still trying to get laid, kind yeah. of. So I'm just I'm just, I'll go to him. I'll be like, dude, I'll just break this window. We'll we'll get food and we'll get out of here. Yeah, like we'll go we'll go back to Boston. We'll bring them back to Boston. So I I break this like panel and I'm a skinny dude. So I like weave my way in and I'm in and then this the girl who wants the chicken nuggets fall behind me, but she fucking slices her arm open. No one thinks to unlock the door. <laughs> No, I was going to unlock oh, okay. it, but this girl followed me for some reason. God, and like then, stuck her head in, and then was pulling her arm out and just cut her like, uh, like, like all of a sudden this girl's bleeding everywhere. Yeah, mix that with so alcohol, thins out your blood. Oh yeah, she's like she's like a stuck pig. So we're like running around this house trying to like find something. Blood to like leaking patch her everywhere. Up. And then we're like got like these paper towels around her, and then these kids come home. <laughs> and they walk up to their apartment There's like There's probably like Eight of them now it, It's thinned out But it's the people that live there Yeah They walk up to their apartment And the door's open The window next to it's shattered And this girl is on their couch Just like bleeding all over their shit Cause we got We got like the paper towels going But she's still like It's all, still yeah All over the floor and shit And they come in And they immediately start screaming at this girl And me and Liam were literally like Just like Slide out behind them, please. As they're as they're yelling, like it's about to get bad, and we like get behind them just enough, and we just run out. Yes, we just run out, dude. Yes, run, skip the elevator, and we're down. Like me, me and Liam didn't say anything. So we just looked at each other, and then and just like, like before their fury could turn at us, we were gone. And what we, happened to the girl, Liam's girl? We, I, I've never seen that girl again. I don't uh. know. I, I I think Liam may have. Like talk All that to, effort he put in staying at that dumb house party in the first place. Uh, dude, dude, we were about to get the shit kicked out of us. Yeah, like, but you we, just it was going to be bad. Vanished. So That's awesome. We fucking run out and we get in his car that he drove up there and we start driving away and we get on the highway and he's like, dude, I'm too fucked up to drive. Like, I, I can't do I can't do a highway. Yeah. And which is actually one of the safest places you can be when you're fucked up. Right, for some reason, city like, cops don't patrol the highway. And you no, know, he was like, "Dude, I'm seeing like double right now. I can't do it." So yeah. we, we pull. I mean, that's the smart decision. We pull over in this like 24 hour McDonald's. 
and we get McDonald's. Got chicken nuggets. We oh, yeah, we finally got the nuggets. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We finally got the nuggets, and I dude, we get like two bites into it and pass out in this parking lot, and wake up the next morning, and the like the inside of the interior of his dad's car is covered. In like sweet and sour sauce for some reason. Like in our sleep, we just got this shit everywhere. Yeah. And we both get out of the car and we're kind of just like surveying the scene. And then we look in the back seat and there's the garden gnome. You guys and I'm grabbed like, the- what? What is this doing here? And he was like, dude, you didn't see me grab that on the way out? And I was, and I was like, no, dude. And he, he just on his way, like running away Liam. from these kids. Oh, Liam's the best. He, he, on the way out the door, I didn't even see him do it. He had a backpack on, and he <laughs> swung this thing into his backpack, and it's in the back seat. So I go to, like, open the back seat, and I'm like, no way you stole that thing, and we're locked out. Oh, no. We locked the keys in this car. So now this car that's covered in fucking sweet and sour sauce with this gnome in the back, we're in this 24-hour McDonald's in the middle of nowhere, completely hungover, and the keys are locked in the car. And we, like, look around. And I remember we, like, stumbled, like, over to some people who were, like, walking in to come help us. And they took, like, a look at us and were, like, shuffling their kids away. Yeah. Like, these guys. I've, we I've been in those situations. Homeless. Yeah. And, like, like the eyes were all bloodshot and shit. So you just we, look dirty. We finally take a look around. And there's this fruit stand. This Quaker fruit stand. Yeah. With these Quakers selling like fruit on like it was it must have been a Sunday or something. I don't remember the exact day. So we had to go over to them and we were and we were like, listen, we, we're locked out of our cars. Is there anything you can do to help us out? And this this Quaker guy goes over and like pops the lock for us. Oh, does he? Yeah. And let, yeah. like this fucking savior uh, and lets us in the car. And we finally it's his dad. It's Liam's dad's car. So we drive it back, uh, and his dad takes one look at the car and one look at us and just leaves it at that. Oh, really? Okay, cool. And then, so a happy ending to the yeah. story. That girl may have died. Her friends probably beat the shit out But other than that, happy but, ending. But about four years later, I go to Liam's parents' house for something. I don't know. I think it was uh, when his sister got engaged, like the engagement party. And on the front lawn is the gnome. Oh, it's still there. <laughs> His dad's an art teacher, and he, like, restored it and, like, repainted it. Fuck yeah. And it is still guarding the front steps of their home now. God, so. that's awesome. <laughs> that is. The gnome lives on. The gnome found a home. The gnome found a home. That's, a, that's awesome. And it is still there to this day, as far as I know. God, that's so oh, good. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk. You had getting roofied on here. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that that's another banger. Uh, well, let's get into it. Yeah, that that's when I was back with uh, with that relationship I was talking about earlier. Yeah, uh, toxicity. Yeah. It's with this girl named Amber uh, that okay. I met. She she worked backstage at, at Blue Man Group. She was, like, on the crew. Uh, are you okay? Do you want me to edit that out, or are you okay with? That's not her real name. Oh, okay. <laughs> there <laughs> just, you go. I just threw that out there. My man. Um. Well, then I just totally destroyed the... <laughs> yeah, you destroyed the whole effect there. God damn it. I got to take uh, that class. No, I'm good, dude. I, I did that on the fly. That was really good. Uh, we're going to have to get you back on. So we're dating. We're like a year into dating at this point. Maybe even less. Maybe like six, seven months. And she gets into burlesque. Uh, okay. She she wants to be a burlesque dancer. So she finds like this 
burlesque crew somehow in Boston. And like I'm going along with it, even though you know I'm I'm like I'm 19. She's she at this time is probably like 25. Okay. But I'm. It's kind of like the, that first relationship where you're head over heels. Yeah. And you're like this whole everything about this makes me uncomfortable, but I don't know how to verbalize my feelings. Yeah, you're not gonna say. <laughs> and, I, and I'm an insecure mess. Yeah. With so fear I fear of them leaving. Went along with it, even though it made me super uncomfortable, because the, the dude who ran it was like. He looked like a dude who runs a burlesque. <laughs> he looked like uh, the big guy from Penn and Teller. I don't yeah. know which one that is. It that Penn, Penn, the bigger guy. Yeah, Penn Gillette. He looked like him, but with like this greasy, like shoulder length black hair. Okay. And like these, like marble, like snake eyes. Like he looked like a dude that ran a burlesque troupe. Yeah. And he always skeezed me out. So this is her first show that she's doing, and it's at this venue in Cambridge. That's like a bar that they rented out for the night. And her mom comes up to see her do it. Oh, okay. So it's like before the show, and I'm super insecure about about it and uncomfortable in general. So naturally, I decided to get hammered. <laughs> and so I'm drinking with her mom before the show. As you do. Yeah. And like the guy that's bartending it is like, they rent out the whole venue. So the bartender is like one of the guys that runs it too. Okay. And he's also this fucking creep. And I, I just, I got a weird vibe from him and I didn't like him. But I'm hanging out with her mom before the show and and we're drinking. And then Amber comes out to hang out with us and she's wearing like nothing. So that makes me like even yeah. more like insecure and upset. So I'm like well into it. I, and and I'm, I'm pretty drunk by the time this show starts. And her mom lived uh, about 45 minutes, an hour away. So... Right before the show starts, a bartender buys her a drink, and she was uh, she was a good looking older lady, very okay. good looking. Uh, buys her a drink on the house, and she goes, "Nah, I I I, I don't want it. I, I got to drive back." So she gives it to me. Okay. So I I take this drink. Uh, it was like a gin and, gin and soda, and all of a sudden the the show starts, and I just remember everything slowing down like 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 I was underwater. Like oh I'm my God. like I'm watching the show and like the girls are dancing and like they'll they'll do like a twirl and like the tassels that they're wearing. I was like seeing trails like yeah. I was on acid or something. And I was like, man, something's wrong. And I turned to her mom to say that, to say, man, something's wrong. I'll never forget the look she had on her face. It was like I, I spoke Mandarin to her. She was like, what? And I was like, something's wrong. And she couldn't understand me because it, it just came out like, huh? Oh my <laughs> she, god! I was like speaking in tongues to her. Jesus. So she, she thinks I'm just drunk, and I start to like lose like motor function. Like I'm sitting in a stool, but I can't quite remember how to do it. Yeah. So I'm like putting my 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 elbow on the bar, and it, and it'll slip off, or like I'll go to adjust myself, but putting my 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 weight on one foot and like my leg will buckle. Like I'm made out of rubber. Oh my god! So like people start to notice and are concerned, and uh, the dude who runs the show comes over, this creepy guy, and he starts talking to me, and I took it as hostility, I guess. Like I, I'm still aware, like the tunnel hasn't closed, and for some reason I thought this guy was like was like angry at me, was like yelling at me, but he was trying to figure out what's going on. So I went to like hit him. 
Oh my god! But from what everyone tells me, it was like the slowest punch in the world. Like it was like one of those punches, like in your dream. Yeah, where you're you like, can't move. You're like, you like I'm like never held back. gonna yeah. connect with this. So like the dude. Ooh. So I think I'm like going to clock this kid, like in the head, and this dude is kind of just like moves his head like two inches, and the the slowest fist in the world just goes by his nose. <laughs> And then the guy, the bouncer who was there, who they hired, he came over because he saw that. And I try and I go, I, I fell down and I was trying to hit him, but I was doing these slow punches again. And I was, I was on my knees at that point, And it just looked like I was like tapping this guy in the groin. Like I was just like, like playing patty cake with this dude's balls. <laughs> like I thought I was, I was punching him in the nuts, but I was just like, tapping him on the tip of his penis <laughs> so everyone is like not only is this guy's wasted but he's a fucking creep so now yeah. now you know i now was all, the creep. i was all self-righteous like these fucking losers like yeah. just looking to see <laughs> like half a titty and meanwhile i'm playing like fucking ping pong with this bouncer <laughs> nuts so like i get thrown out obviously like they, they obviously they get me out of there and is your girlfriend aware of what's ha- is Amber aware of what's happening at the time? What's I, her mom saying? What's yeah, going on? Her, her mom like escorted me out with with the bouncer and I was like legless at this point. I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't stand up. And again, they, they just thought I was hammered, dude. So I get out there and, you know, they're waiting for Amber to do her thing. And, and she, you know, does her routine or whatever and comes out and she's all pissed because her mom had to miss it. Because, again, they think I'm just drunk. Yeah. So she comes out with her friend who had also come to the show and they're they're yelling at me and I can't really comprehend it. Everyone's kind of yelling at me like the bouncer, her mom, like everyone's screaming at me. And I'm just like, what's going on? So they get me in a car and they bring me home and her mom goes home and they they bring me into the apartment. And then her her and her friend go to get pizza across the street. And in like the five minutes it took for them to do that, I called her like 20 times because I kept forgetting where they had gone. Oh, shit. So I'd call her up and be like, where the fuck are Like, I'd be freaking out. Like, where the fuck are you? Like, where, like uh, 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 are you at some dude's house? And I'd be like, no, we're at the cross street getting pizza. And then I'd be like, oh, okay. And I'd hang up. And then I'd call back and I'd be like, hey, baby, like, where are you? Like, I miss you. Like, wh- I haven't seen you in so long. And I'd be like, we're across the street getting pizza. Wow. And I did that like 20 times, just completely forgot. Every <laughs> single time I hung up the phone, forgot where they were. So does it re- is it coming... Is she aware now that like something's seriously wrong, or is she just thinking you're being an asshole? She thinks I'm being an asshole. Like oh, I, she didn't. I mean, she, she didn't care enough. Yeah. To put two and two together, in retrospect, they they still think I'm just being a drunk asshole. So they come back to the the place finally with pizza, and her friend breaks out like an eight ball. Okay. And I'm still like conscious, like upright somehow. So in the middle of this. I'm roofied and I start doing coke. Jesus. And they said that I was like, like those, uh, like car washing, like inflatable things. Yeah. Where like I like this rubbery dude, and I would just pass out, and then I would do a line, and then I would wake up. Yeah. And just be like running around the house for like two seconds and be like, oh, he's fine. And then I would like pass out again. God, your body was probably like, what the fuck is dude, going I on? I have no idea how I didn't die. And uh, eventually, like I've passed out for real. Uh, none of that I remember. I don't remember anything yeah. after getting in the car. I don't remember all the phone calls at the pizza joint. But I get back. Uh, no, I wake up the next morning, and 
it's the worst hangover of my life. Like, de- like debilitating. I can't move. Where you just like turn your head and you feel like you're gonna vomit. Like you can't. Yeah, physically, like couldn't move, couldn't move a finger. Yeah, I've had some of those hangovers when I've mixed like way too much drinking, and then you do coke to try to offset it, and then you end up drinking like probably double or triple the amount you normally would. Right. And I've woken up with those hangovers, and I've had alcohol poisoning three times, where you wake up and you're like, I'm, I think I'm dying. Right. Yeah. It was like where I, I, I thought something was physically wrong. Yeah. And she was like, Well, you were just fucking hammered last night. You, you're an asshole. Like my mom didn't get to see my fucking burlesque set or whatever. <laughs> Fuck you, Amber. <laughs> like my mom didn't get to see my burlesque show. Like not yeah. a sentence I care about right now. <laughs> or ever. I'm sorry, your, your mom you, didn't yeah. get to see your titty tassels. Well, all right. Um, and so I'm like, I, I need to go to the fucking hospital. So okay. I finally convince her to take me, and they I get there, and they take my blood, and they're like, yeah, you have a lot of Rufalin in your system. And I finally put two and two together, and the fucking bartender yeah, had tried to roofie her mom. Did you, like, show her the toxicology report like I fucking told you? Yeah, so we, we brought the toxicology report to this fucking creepy burlesque guy Cause oh, so now she's on your side. Now all is oh, forgiven. She has to be. I'm yeah. like, dude, there's, there's like this amount of Rufalin in yeah, your system. Yeah, I, I could have fucking died. They tried to kill your and, mom. Well, the thing that really turned her was the was the mom thing and that the fact that her mom drove an hour back. So if her mom had had that drink, she would have it would have kicked in while she was driving home. Oh, yeah, I didn't and even think about that. who the fuck knows what could have happened. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we go and, uh, like, the guy, like, sweet talks my girlfriend at the time out of it. Like it wasn't the bartender and you know, she ends up staying with this fucking troop for forever. So what could he possibly say? You have the toxicology report. Well, he, he wasn't convinced it was the bartender that did it. He was like, it could have been anybody. Oh, so he's thinking maybe someone who was at the show tried to roofie her mom and it wasn't the bartender. Right. He's like, you don't have any proof. It was, it was this guy and you can't talk. You're like, what am I going to do? I can't, just assume it, but I, dude, I, I knew it. I yeah, knew because it because I remember the way he gave her the drink and how he was talking to her beforehand. And he gave her a drink on the house, and then you snatched and he would, it and, and drank it. And she was the only one that was getting a drink. Yeah. And, and you know, they tried to explain it away, like, no, he was just trying to, you know, your mom's attractive or whatever. Yeah, he was trying to roofie her because she's attractive. Right. We're, yeah. all, we're all tracking the same. We're all like on the I same said, page. Like I said, it's a toxic relationship. Yeah. I couldn't convince them that, you know, someone was... Was trying to roofie her mom. God. <laughs> uh, so yeah, she just really liked burlesque, man. That's she didn't the time leave the I got roofied at a burlesque show. God, that's insane. Well, I really do appreciate you coming on. We have a lot more stories, so we got to do another a part two of this eventually. Yeah, sure, um, man. This was a lot of fun. I try to. I've been told that sometimes when I have new guests on and I want to talk about all this stuff, some some of my listeners are like, "It's, it's getting kind of long," so I'm trying to taper back. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Plug, uh, we forgot to do this at the beginning, but plug everything that you have coming up because you are doing, you just booked a gig. Um, I don't no, know no, if you're I allowed to a, talk about that. Uh, no, I have a, a big, it's actually a second callback for okay. Blue Bloods. I haven't booked that one yet. Uh, but I just did a show called The Rise of Wall Street. We just, I just finished filming my portion. Uh, it's called The Rise of Wall Street. It's like a docu-drama hybrid that's going to be on Peacock. Okay. Probably. Uh, around Christmas, New Year's time. It's a limited series. Be about, I think it's gonna be twelve episodes. Okay. And, and gonna, then you, um, I remember 
we were talking about this at work, but you have you uh, some a project you were a part of was in the Toronto Independent Film Festival. Oh was no, uh, right? uh, a short film I did a few years ago called Between the Trees. Yeah, was uh, a finalist at the Tribeca Film Festival. Tribeca Film Festival that for their it. short film uh corner i just remember because i watched your reel and i was like that one was really good and you're like yeah actually it was and i was like oh did you get to go to the film festival and you're like no nah, I, I had to do the equalizer yeah 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 that was yeah and i was like get the fuck all right you're coming on the podcast get yeah the that, fuck that was here. back yeah I, I couldn't go to that because i couldn't go to the festival <laughs> i had denzel you know that's denzel denzel doing a drive-by scene with me yeah, yeah you know <laughs> you know you can't can't make mr washington upset but um but yeah no people can uh Check me out on my website. It's MatthewJamesFagerberg.com. Boom. Beautiful. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, check out everything at BrennanTComedy.com. Brennan T. Comedy on all social media. October 7th, I'll be at the Broadway Comedy Club. Um, I'm trying to get in at the stand, so we'll see what happens there. I love you all so much. Thank you for listening. Subscribe on Patreon, and we'll talk to you all next week. <laughs>